You're listening to the One Day Advice Podcast, where your hosts, Nick Riley and Paul Henderson, are going to take you for a ride inside the world of personal finance. Together, we're going to give you a fully transparent, behind-the-scenes look into the financial services industry, helping you to optimize your financial life along the way. So today, Paul and I are going to be talking about the financial services industry and uh, how important it is to seek a financial planner or a financial advisor who uh, is in this in the business of selling advice and not products. So we're going to go into some of the values uh, of financial planning and working with the right type of financial planner. Uh, we're going to be getting into what a true financial planner is as well uh, later in this episode. Uh, but first of all, uh, I'm going to set the stage with an overview of the various fee models in the financial services industry. And I like to you know, kind of put it into three main buckets. You have commission-based advisors. Uh, by that, I mean you know, people who are, are solely selling financial products, uh, such as annuities or uh, you know, financial products that have a commission attached to it and don't have very transparent fees. These might be uh, part of a larger you know, insurance company specifically or a large uh, brokerage firm. Uh, and then you have the on the other end of the spectrum, you have fee only and fee only advisors are advisors who uh, charge a flat fee for the advice that they provide. And that could be in the form of investment management, say like a percentage of uh, a percentage fee on investments that are managed by the advisor, such as you know, 1%. Uh, 1% typically is the industry norm. Uh, however, there are solutions out there like One Day Advice uh, who who charges less less than one percent uh, and less than the the industry average. There, uh, other ways uh, for a fee only advisor to charge is by the hour. So, you know, fees might range from one hundred fifty an hour to five hundred dollars an hour, uh, depending on you know the complexity of that service and maybe the geographical area that you might be in. You might be paying less for services in Nebraska than you are here out in Seattle or out on the West Coast and in San Francisco. And the third bucket, which is probably the most confusing bucket, which I'll probably have (laughs) Paul give a little bit of context into. Well, just because I have strong opinions about it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, is the fee-based. And uh, maybe, Paul, I'll let you describe that third bucket of uh, kind of the fee models of financial services. Yeah, the fee-based, I look at it as it's combining the some of the language of fee only with the lucrative nature of the commission-based for the advisor. And you know, fee-based, I would say, came out of the overall industry looking at the growth of registered investment advisors who were kind of revolutionizing the industry and saying, okay, we can we can speak this language too, because if someone asks me if, you know, if, if I'm fee only, I need to have something that I can say. And fee-based sounds really close to fee-only, so it was kind of the slam-dunk answer. The issue with it is now they're they're taking fees, you know, and maybe they're showing a one percent or less. Like Nick was saying, like you can see all types of different fee schedules, but even you, more than one percent, yeah, or more than one percent. Yeah, I've seen some that go up to two percent. Ah, that's I can't think about that. But yeah, you can charge that fee, and then you can also sell products, and so it. it from the investment ad- advisor 
standpoint or broker, whatever you want to call them. And that's a whole nother topic. You know, they, they can kind of double dip at this point and it sounds good to the consumer. So this one, you know, personally, it gets to me because it just, it takes in an industry that's already a little bit confusing to people and then just, you know, makes it even more opaque. Yeah. And a little context too behind that is, is where the ad dollars are being spent. So uh, a large part of why people believe that a fee-based advisor is what they need is because that is what they're marketed uh, by. Uh, and the people that or the companies that have the deep pockets in order to pay for those advertising uh, and marketing costs are the large brokerage firms that that have evolved from you know a pure commission-based model to also providing uh, you know, quote unquote, fee, fee only business. Uh, so because they're riding both sides, uh, you know, they, they coined the phrase fee based, which is very easily confused uh, by fee only and completely different. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, an argument that I've heard, which resonates a little bit, but still don't fully buy it is, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a fee based advisor, I could say, well, if I send you out somewhere to get an insurance product that you need, uh, that person's going to get a commission. So why shouldn't I just take care of it for you? So there, you know, people, there are arguments that sound somewhat compelling, but at the same point, you know, I think you run into a lot of conflict of interest issues. You run into the issue of, are you really the specialist in everything? Shouldn't I go to a specialist for, you know, if I need an insurance product, I want someone who specializes in term insurance products. I don't necessarily want my person who I thought specialized in financial planning to, you know, be the one-stop shop. I think there's, there's an argument in favor of a specialization. Special, I'm not going to say that word now. <laughs> specialization. <laughs> I got it out. Um, but yeah, there, there's, like you said, this, it's an industry that markets well and has put a lot of ad dollars in. So, you know, there's, there's a, an argument that, they can make to everything that we say. I, I just yeah. I don't buy it, but it's there. Exactly. And it's important to note too, that there are some great fee-based advisors out there. Uh, and, and if they're fee-based, you know, they can make a personal commitment to be fee only. Uh, but the fact that they work for an institution that allows them to uh, you know, be on both sides of the equation, uh, it, it makes it hard to trust. So that's why we advise uh, people looking for financial planning or fi- financial advice uh, to go for someone who is a fiduciary and and serves in the capacity of a fiduciary. And you know, a fiduciary is is required to do what's in the best interest of the client and put the best interests of the client ahead of their own interests. And you know, I think that uh, ties into the the suitability versus fiduciary conversation that we were having a while ago and and probably ties into your true financial planner point so maybe we should transition away from our our my hate of <laughs> the fee-based advising to kind of what you mean by true financial planner and what some distinctions are there yeah so i look at a, a true financial planner as as someone who is leading with advice and not products so i uh, i'll just use the the illustration of you have uh, an illness and you go to uh, the doctor and you want to be treated for that illness. And the doctor you know, asks you a couple questions and they give you a prescription for a you know, over-the-counter drug. And 
they tell you, you know, you take, you know, two pills per day for the next two years and this will, this will cure it. And, you know, that, that is in a sense what a commission based or, you know, potentially a fee based advisor would be doing is prescribing a financial product uh, that, technically may be suitable uh, for the symptoms you're feeling, but it's not addressing the underlying problem. So uh, you know, a true financial planner will dig much deeper. So like a doctor who asks you know, more questions, goes into maybe the habits that worked up to becoming that illness. Uh, so addressing the nutrition side, uh, your fitness, all of that. Uh, a true financial planner will dig into the details of your financial life uh, to assess ways that you can improve and optimize your finances. Uh, they won't provide you if they, if if anyone tries to sell you a financial product that is a one size fits all and just cures all, uh, you have to be wary of that. So that's kind of what I mean by uh, a true financial planner. The the one size fits all is definitely a. <laughs> Interesting one. Oh, definitely. And and on the suitability versus fiduciary kind of standard, uh, just a little context into that. Uh, for a long time, the like a fee based advisor was held under the suitability standards uh, by the financial regulation bodies uh, in the United States. So a suitability standard just means that the advisor is only regulated on uh, making a suitable recommendation at the time of that recommendation. Uh, so suitability doesn't mean it's the best uh, option for the client. It just means that it, it can be justified that it is suitable. Whereas a like fiduciary... It blow up in their face, basically. Yeah. Is it, the way I look at it. Like, very much blow up in their face. And it could be, you know, they have a, you know, a much higher f- internal fee than another similar financial product that would provide the same result. So they that allows brokers or financial advisors who are commission-based or fee-based to be able to prescribe essentially a higher cost financial product than another that would also solve that same issue. So same as, as, a, as a doctor who might have a direct relationship with a pharmaceutical company who pays them a larger kickback for recommending their drug versus a competitor's drug, it's the same scenario. Uh, whereas a fiduciary is is required to put uh, the client's best interests ahead of their own, which includes the fee conversation. So uh, that includes you know, passing them to the lower cost solution if it's going to provide the same benefit as that higher cost solution does. So that's a huge thing. And and more recently, uh, Regulation BI came out. So Regulation Best Interest is that what it stands for. Uh, and there's a lot of nuances to that. But it's just you know, proof that the industry as a whole, regulation is changing, but it's not really addressing the main underlying issues uh, that are taking place. Uh, for instance... Uh, regulation best interest uh, you know, puts people on the advice side at a competitive disadvantage over someone who is both a broker and an advice giver. And uh, 
you know, I don't know, Paul, do you have any color I, on that? Yeah. I, I mean, I I'm think looking at you right now and you're just, you're <laughs> waiting to say something. I, well, just, I think it can, it can be confusing if it can be confusing if you're in the industry. I think if you're on the outside, it's, it's hopeless. You know, the, and this kind of goes back to the groups that have the marketing dollars are also the groups that have the lobbying dollars. And a lot of the regulation that comes out is again, in trying to craft a way that some of these bigger organizations can make the most money while also making their marketing as easy as possible. And, you know, so that the best interest to, to sum it up, it basically allows a, a broker, they can wear their investment advisor type hat. And uh, sorry, these words are all kind of interchangeable. They can put on two different hats. One that says, I'm trying to make a lot of money for myself. And then they can swap hats and say, this time it's really for you. Like this is the best thing for you. But they don't have to, like, there's not a, a literal hat. So you can't really tell, you know, which which one are you being right now? And, you know, in a way, yes, it's it's nice because it takes some of the worst offenses off the table, but it it kind of blurs the issue. And then also, you know, your your financial planner, the RIA, the fiduciary sitting there, they always have to give the the correct answer. But now they're being held to a, a higher standard. Well, they continue to be higher, held to a higher standard, but the, the brokers can now you know, start using some of the same words and they can say that, it, you know, of course they're fiduciary sometimes. It just, it, it was an attempt, I think, to try to, I, the, the non-cynical part of me says it's an attempt to try to give something good to consumers and try to rein in some, some poor behavior, but it looks an awful lot like a kind of a giveaway in a way to the broker industry saying, we're not going to actually hold you to this standard, but we're going to maybe suggest or imply that you should do something yeah. more positive. Yeah. And, and a lot of what drove that too, is that it's the larger companies uh, like an Edward Jones, uh, for instance, being, being pressured into uh, so for their advisors that carried a certified financial planning uh, designation, uh, they, it was going to be difficult for them to retain those advisors in their in their system because a certified financial planner should be operating you know under the CFP board's uh, directives as as a fiduciary. Uh, but when a CFP works for a broker dealer or a a fee based type system, uh, that in and of itself creates a conflict of interest. So I think that, you know, we could go into further details on, on uh, and probably put you to sleep on regulation BI uh, and the suitability standard, but that kind of e- transitions us into the fee transparency conversation that we wanted to kind of discuss with you all today. Uh, and, you know, the one, if you work with an advisor today, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear from you uh, you know, do you know how much you're paying your advisor? Do you know how you're paying or compensating your advisor? These are all things to to make sure you're aware of. Maybe you're searching for a financial planner or advisor. Uh, you know, make sure you are upfront and asking them how they are compensated. And just to give you an overview on fees in the industry, uh, just you know, because Paul and I are about total transparency, and that's part of the reason we have this podcast is is we believe uh, by educating the clients, uh, educating the the consumers of financial advice uh, towards you know, what is is best for them, 
that will help lead towards better regulation down the road. Uh, that is that is uh, working in the best interest of of consumers and our clients too. So, just a, a little overview on the the commission based financial products out there. I think one of the big ones and more well known ones are annuities, uh, typically sold by insurance companies or large uh, brokerage uh, companies that have the ability to. Uh, you know, sell commission-based products uh, like annuities and cash value life insurance. Those annuities, uh, while you might not pay a direct fee to your advisor, the insurance company compensates the advisor for the sale of the annuities and cash value life insurance. Those can come in the form of a upfront uh charge. So if, if the product has a surrender charge wrapped into it, and by that, I mean, you know, if, you know, for instance, a, a seven-year surrender might mean that if you back out of that insurance contract before the seven years are up, uh, you would have to pay that surrender charge. And that surrender charge is meant to protect the insurance company from the fees that they provide your advisor up front. Uh, so I it is. It's a whole nother world of of non transparent fees out there, uh, but but the insurance company ultimately is always going to benefit from those products, and that's why you see the Northwestern Mutuals of the world and some other large ones, uh, you know, growing so significantly because there are so many fees built into the products that they are selling, and they're protecting themselves by uh, having surrender charges if you were to get out of it prematurely. Yeah, I would uh, just add any color if, on that. Paul? If you hear the word guarantee, just assume that you're paying for it. And that's, you know, if people are talking about annuities and, and cash value life insurance, it almost always includes some conversation around a guarantee or, well, almost always guarantee. Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, just because people are like, oh, well, this was, is going to give me this number of dollars, you know, every single month. And that's what I need. And it's great. And yeah, you, you lose in all of that. Well, if you'd held on to that, maybe you would have had more money. And maybe if you'd worked with an advisor, they could create the portfolio for you. That's also going to generate not guaranteed, but a significant income stream that they can help you plan out. So, you know, people will, will, will pay a lot for someone just to say, this is, this is guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that guaranteed income stream comes at a cost. Uh, so, and, and it's important to note that there are other ways to provide a high probability of that income coming in. Uh, you're, it's not in if it's not guaranteed. Uh, you know, at least you're saving a significant amount on the fees generated from that. And there's, there's. I mean, to any product that that a business sells, uh, you know, one side is going to benefit the most. And when it comes to insurance products and financial products with a commission attached to it, uh, it's pretty easy to see who who benefits the most from that. And that is uh, that is oftentimes the the large uh, insurance company. So the other type of uh, financial product. Before I, I get into that, Paul, did you have anything else I was to add to that? Actually, going to make the segue also by pointing out that within a lot of those life insurance products now, like again, things are changing and insurance companies will give you the option to invest. So you feel like you're holding an investment portfolio. 
And of course, if you're doing that, it's almost always in their mutual funds. And they're definitely not going to give you the lowest cost because that money's captive. So that's a, a way that you, know, you might think, well, this is a relatively low cost insurance program, but well, sure, they got you on the other side <laughs> once the money's in there in, in the mutual funds. And I, I'm guessing that you're going to talk about just a, a normal investor outside of an insurance program. Exactly. Yeah. And so mutual funds, uh, I'm not going to bash on mutual funds uh, as a whole because there are you know, great mutual fund companies out there. Uh, typically, a mutual fund, uh, just to provide context, is going to actively manage uh, their own portfolio uh, for you. So they're going to try to actively beat the benchmark, whether that's the S&P 500 uh, or the NASDAQ, whatever benchmark they're trying to uh, track against, they are ultimately actively trading the funds in the portfolio in order to uh, ideally provide a greater return uh, to the investor. I think most of our listeners probably have have read studies or I uh, heard that that mutual funds you know typically don't beat the market, and that is true. I, I think that numbers is uh, upwards of eighty five percent of mutual funds. Uh, do not beat their uh, their benchmark, and that still leaves you know, leaves a percentage that do. Uh, but you know, I think we're going to spend a, a separate episode on on why a lot of that is the case. But the point is, mutual funds have different share classes, and the easiest way to find this out is uh, if you look at your statement and you'll have like a ticker symbol. Uh, it might be four or five letters uh, that that. You know, provide you the code you need to type into Google. Uh, just type in that code, uh, ticker symbol, and find out. Uh, you know, click through the link, and it'll it might say a, a A share or C share mutual fund. Uh, and there's institutional share classes, so you might have an institutional share class inside a investment management portfolio that that you're paying like a one percent fee towards your advisor. Uh, they would put you into an institutional share class because that institutional share class has a lower internal fee attached to it and removes any 12B1 fees, uh, which for you listeners, all 12B1 fees are is the in, the mutual fund company paying for marketing and advertising costs to the advisor. So it's, it's meant to be a promotional uh, you know, compensation for the advisor. And those 12B1 uh, fees are higher in a, a C-share and an A-share mutual fund. A C-share mutual fund might have a 1% trailing fee on that uh, paid by the mutual fund company to the advisor. And if you're catching this, it sounds a lot like an annuity where the advisor can sell that C-share mutual fund and it looks like there's no immediate fee that you get charged but they are receiving the fee from the internal fees paid to the mutual fund company. Uh, whereas a, uh, a A-shares mutual fund has a much higher upfront load to it. So by selling the A-shares mutual fund, you aren't paying fees directly to your advisor. Uh, you're paying a uh, fees directly to the mutual fund company who is then paying the advisor uh, an upfront you know, commission of you know upwards of five five to seven percent typically, and so your advisor is making five to seven percent on that investment upfront. 
So, <laughs> so if you invested $100,000. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. $100,000, you are paying five to $7,000 to the advisor, and he is receiving that upfront. And if you aren't getting financial planning from that advisor, uh, that's a great sign of you're working with someone who is not a fiduciary. Uh, And if you get out of those eight share funds, so there, there oftentimes are fees involved in that because the the mutual fund company has to perfect protect themselves as well because they've already paid the advisor five to seven percent uh, upfront. So those are things to be watchful uh, watchful of. Uh, anything to add to that, Paul? No, I think you've you've covered it. I think you know the world of A shares and C shares probably better than I do. The only thought I had was just the the uh, trailing loads drive me crazy. You know, as yeah. as the fiduciary advisor when someone comes to you and you're like well that you know either they they took the money up from you up front or they're they're going to get it if we sell out of this and that's just it's a frustrating experience to you know think about the lifestyle you're funding for somebody else yeah exactly and you know i will preface it with you know there are you know some great advisors out there that that leverage these types of of products but they they still provide financial planning so if they get an upfront cost from a client they might you know, look at that as like okay the, the client's already paid for financial advice moving forward for the next couple of years uh, but i would say those are far and few in between i think anyone you know who receives an upfront uh, payment like that is oftentimes going to chase another upfront payment uh, from somewhere else. So just something to be watchful of. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a that's a wrap for for this episode today. I just wanted to kind of go over some key takeaways for our listeners as well. Uh, so you know, one being, if if you work with an advisor currently, uh, make sure to ask your advisor if they're a fiduciary, uh, and follow up and ask about you know all the ways that they are compensated. Because like Paul mentioned earlier. Uh, there is a, a a non it's an it's not a literal hat that they can wear, uh, so that you can you can see you don't know whether they're wearing the fiduciary hat, you don't know whether they're they're wearing the the suitability hat or not. So ask them about all the different types of ways that they can be compensated. If they say that they can be compensated uh, through commissions, uh, then they they aren't a fiduciary. And the other thing is to review your statements. If you're working with an advisor, uh, you know, do you see a transparent fee on that? Uh, if you don't, and your advisor says there's no management fee, uh, it is all in all likelihood, uh, you know, those fees are being paid through the individual products or mutual funds that you have inside uh, of your account. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's one thing you want to make sure you check out those investments as well. You know, what are those expense ratios? And with Google today, uh, I mean, most of that information is is readily available. We are also happy to uh, assess, you know, do a, a fee assessment for you here at One Day Advice just to uh, make that process easier for you, uh, just to see if there's any loads uh, attached to that, any large upfront commissions that you have to be uh, wary of getting out of uh, too soon. Uh, but then ultimately, you know, fee only is is what we view as the best option for uh, for people seeking financial advice. Uh, however, it is not 100% free of conflict of interest. There, it's going to be very difficult to find someone who is 
absolutely 100% free of conflicts of interest because, for instance, a fee-only advisor might charge a percentage of assets that they manage. We'll just say that 1%. And maybe you have a, a you know, you know, inheritance that came your way. Uh, say you got $100,000 from your, your grandmother who passed away and you really want to you know, maybe invest that in real estate. Well, your advisor might you know, advise you to add that to the assets that they manage uh, themselves. So uh, that, for instance, it w- could be a potential conflict of interest because uh, with with more assets under management, that that equates to a higher fee for the advisor. Uh, so it's it's important to look deeper into that uh, of why they're advising that. Uh, but you know, we at One Day Advice believe there's there's other ways to accumulate wealth other than just through your investment portfolio, whether that's through your business, uh, through real estate. Uh, and, and that's, you want to make sure that you're working with an advisor who is willing to advise on other methods of increasing your wealth. Yeah. I would just add that, you know, that we, we talk a lot about these different definitions and the different rules and regulations and the importance of fiduciary versus, you know, other, other levels of, or standards, but you, know, you can't take the idea of trust out of it. You know, I, I always go with the idea of trust and verify. And, you know, in that hundred thousand dollar example that Nick brought up, you know, that's a thousand dollars going to the advisor if they are charging 1%. And, you know, I've heard of situations where, you know, there's a conversation of, well, should you fully fund your 401k or should you put some more into this, you know, the account that I'm managing? That's, you know, in a perfect world, the advisor is always going to give the answer that is in the best interest of the client. But, you know, that's not, it's no, it's not a perfect world. And, you know, you really do need to go in, you can have someone who's fiduciary, you can have someone who's charging you decent fees, but you also need to understand why they're doing this, who they are. And ultimately you have to choose, you have to decide if you can trust them. And yeah, yeah, there's, that's, at the end of the day, like that, like every relationship, you know, there has to be some element of trust. And if you start to question or if you are feeling unsure, it's a great time to verify whether that's talking yeah. to another advisor, or looking up stuff online, whatever. You know, if you have that moment of uncertainty, I would say trust your gut and start doing some research. Yeah. I get a second opinion or, or you know, get a, a solid sounding board around you. But uh, yeah, on that note, uh, we went into a lot of detail here in this episode. Uh, you know, definitely spoke on a topic uh, in full transparency that that isn't isn't often done. Uh, you know, within the financial services industry, so we we understand that this might be a foreign concept to many people, and we want to make sure that we're a resource to you to get your questions answered. So, if you have any doubt in your mind. Uh, or if you're just questioning whether the advisor you're working with is a fiduciary, uh, feel free to let us know and, and we can help you assess that. And you know, we, we want to make sure that you are working with, with the right type of advisor uh, and, and we want to make sure that you're getting the solutions you need to help you achieve your financial life goals. So uh, with that being said, yeah, feel free to, to send us an email for uh, any feedback you have on the episode, any further questions that you have. Uh, I'm sure questions will arise where we want to go into further detail on certain subjects that were talked about in this episode. Uh, But yeah, thanks for listening. And we look forward to continuing to provide you with, with fully transparent advice. 
Hi, I'm Nick Riley, the founder of One Day Advice. If you like what you've heard, we'd greatly appreciate your help in spreading the word. After all, we are financial educators, not marketers. Thanks for listening, and remember to leave us a review. Nick Riley is the founder of One Day Advice, an independent registered investment advisor. Paul Henderson is the director of financial planning at One Day Advice. Both Nick and Paul serve as wealth advisors to their clients. All opinions expressed by Nick, Paul, and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of One Day Advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment or financial decisions.